0: This is Application Paranoia, episode four. Welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast about application security, DevSecOps and AppScan. I'm Colin and with me as our regular panel is Rob and Chris. So, in this week's episode, we're going to talk to our digital solutions CTO, Jason Gary. So, we're really looking forward to doing that. We're going to give you a little bit of AppScan news as well. We've quite a few things to talk about in AppScan news this week. So, that, the, that might take up a little bit of time as well. But as usual, I have Chris and I have Rob with me. So, Chris, how are you doing? How's things going with you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I did want to take a little bit of time to share something that New Hampshire is known for around the world.
0: It wouldn't be the same <laughs> if we didn't have a bit of New Hampshire news, so, th- so let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it turns out New Hampshire
1: invents stuff. I'm sure everybody's <laughs> heard of the Segway. Um, they're used everywhere, it turns out. In Germany, I saw a <laughs> where we, we see images of cops riding Segways to, to ride around. And it turns out they were, uh, they're headquartered in Bedford, New Hampshire, which is maybe a stone's throw from where I live, which is kind of cool. I think. Uh, but more importantly than <laughs> the Segway is the, uh, the first robotics competition that Dean came in, who invented the Segways, is really well known for around these parts. Uh, kids everywhere go in and they compete with robotics, which is freaking awesome. And that's just right down the street in the Manchester Mills. So yeah, we, we invent. And it turns out the guy who invented the Segway really loves New Hampshire. I don't know why. Uh, actually, I do know why. Because uh, New Hampshire is awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be pretty neat. I mean, this is kind of cool. Well, the segways are, I suppose, but they come
2: from here. <laughs> that's awesome, dude.
0: Yeah. So, uh, wow. So, do you own a Segway? I or do not. Or... <laughs> Wait, perhaps that's a Segway to introduce Ro- Rob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I I love segways. In fact, one of my favorite work moments was taking a Segway tour of the city of Split in Croatia and uh we discovered that you can't really just hop off those things that they (laughs) you know they use the body weight and so we had a woman with us she was super confident right going around doing the whole tour and you know the the guide that we had told us initially uh don't get off until i get off first and then i can grab your segway and then you can get off well by the end of the ride she thought she had it all handled so you (laughs) know we're all stopped She hops off, puts one foot on the ground, and then this thing suddenly spun crazily, and it actually took out a newsstand right there in the (laughs) city, which was awesome. So yeah, (laughs) they were invented here. That's all we need to know. There you go. That's why. (laughs) So Rob, Rob, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, we're doing good. Uh, things are starting to open up back here, too, so which is super exciting. But, you know, California is a crazy state, right? They've got this whole sort of four stage unveiling for coming out of the whole pandemic. And and we're getting excited because we're now getting close to stage three, which is, you know, the salons and the gyms and churches and, uh, among other things, Disneyland and the theme parks. So well, people are getting... Uh, really oh, yeah, yeah, very important. You know, people out here love Disneyland for some crazy reason. Um, but, so, yeah, it's uh, it's all good.
0: So my interesting th- thing that I brought today is that I looked up COVID.com. dot com. There's a company called COVID, you know, it's like, and COVID make cables. You know, they they do uh, cables and plugs. Well, they're based in the states. They're in where are they? Yeah. Tempe, Arizona, right outside but, of Phoenix. It also reminds me of, I remember years ago when El Nino was first um, named, that there was a gentleman in LA called Al Nino, and he got lots of phone calls of people complaining about the weather. I just wonder if COVID, are get lots of calls now about people complaining about them being <laughs> locked in their houses or whatever. Oh, man. Can
2: you wow. even imagine? <laughs> Can you even imagine? COVID? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of things that are kind of funny and odd, I saw a really interesting interview yesterday with uh, Andre Agassi. If you're a big tennis fan, you may remember that uh, Andre Agassi and Boris Becker had a series uh, for a number of years there where it was just really enticing for both of them. And the first few times they met, right, Andre Agassi was known for returning serves and Boris Becker was obviously known for his amazing serves. And Boris, you know, whitewashed him the first three times they met. And so the story went on that Andre started watching tons of tape and he realized that Boris actually had a tell in his serve. And he noticed that whenever Boris was going to serve down the middle or into the deuce court, he would put his tongue right in the middle of his lip. He would kind of stick it out a little bit, but it'd be dead center. But if he was going to serve wide, he would move his tongue over to the side. And so Andre picked up on it. And he, you know, the thing was, he could at any point know where the serve was going to go. But he said the biggest challenge he had was not letting Boris know he knew. So he couldn't (laughs) use it every time he served, but he had to pick and choose points of the match. Um, And it wasn't until years later after both had retired that he actually shared that little fun fact with Boris um, about about his tell. But it was fascinating because after those first three matches, Andre went on to win nine of the next 11. (laughs) So. We have a bit of AppScan news. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I went okay. back and counted yesterday though and I was shocked. We've done 25 different releases since January. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. some of those are just updates and maintenance, but I, to me, I think that's a really cool thing. Right? Yeah. That that anybody who's wondering whether, you know, we're dead or going away or any of that stuff, like that's flies yeah. right in the face of it.
0: I mean, it, it it is interesting. I mean, as part of AppScan News, Like we are giving the ASOC updates and there's Genuinely, there's two updates in between each one of our podcasts, you know? So as we're talking about segues, and it's it's over to Chris to give the latest updates, for specifically for ASOC, because we also have one for AppScan Standard. But there was a release on the 21st of May, which and one on the 25th. So can you give us a little bit of insight in what, what's in those, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're pumping out code like gangbusters now it's i think it's because we have a lot of time on our hands at home and uh you know we're just working really hard at least i know i am i'm able to plow through a lot of stuff i wasn't able to before but at any rate um yeah we have full support for Scala and react js now for static scans that's that's pushed that's available that's ready it's live it's good to go uh, cool. so that's exciting for us yeah Um visual studio 2017 2019 for c++ projects something that's a lot of our our customer base has been asking for that's out there now, uh, which is really good. If you are using 2017 and 2019, you can actually scan your code now. So, woo, exciting! Cool. um <laughs> and in in Asoc proper, there's quite a bit of quality of life improvements. Uh, for example, we're adding webhooks, so you can plug in to a system that's not specifically Asoc. Perhaps it's a different one of yours. Uh, but we can help help you figure out whether or not a scan is complete. If you wanted to write a script or an API script to do all this for you in an automated fashion, you can now figure out if it, it is complete or what the status change might be on the applications themselves. Really cool stuff. Uh, better filtering for duplicate issues in SAS scans. We have better storage, I guess, is the best way to put it. They go by a hash algorithm, which takes a, an issue or a finding, and it tries to find out the unique characteristics of that finding. Uh, and We're doing a better job of that now. So. Something that is so close to this other finding now is represented as one finding because there's no point in inundating you with a whole bunch of issues. So we're trying to make it a little bit more sane for you to be able to, to use the, the tool and a little bit easier to absorb the findings that do get produced. And in one of my personal favorites, which is fixed groups, um, we now have the report, which has a link to the fixed group. Um, in the report itself, so that if Yay! you don't really know, I know it's a, it's such <laughs> yeah. a small change, but it's a massive quality of life improvement. I feel. Yeah, yes. you can go right through it. It's it's very nice. It's it makes my job of
2: auditing results off of a report so much easier. Just yeah, point no, and click, and off I go. Now that's yeah, that's a little thing that makes a little difference. That makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, it's, that's a, it's, that's a good one. It's yeah. huge.
2: It's a lot bigger than it seems like because it's,
1: you know, just one of many improvements that we've made, but it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. Of course better IS documentation, which I asked we, we covered last week, and I asked is really cool what it can do. Uh, so it's a little bit easier to access what in the heck it's all about from different areas in, in the UI now as opposed to having to know to go to the documentation. So yeah, a lot of quality of life improvements.
0: Chris, we, we also did a release on AppScan standard. Which I think it's one of the first we we're doing all our June releases, but AppsCon said the first one to come out. I saw some notes on that for earlier this week. Do you, Do you know much about what's in that? I mean, in particular, I mean, I know that there'll be some some updates in in particular around that for customers, but I just wonder if there's some facts that you can give us about what's in that. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: that one is jam packed with a bunch of stuff, but some of the highlights, or at least some of the things that. That I like is the AppScan Connect where you can download the scan templates now. Um, in d- in addition to scan files from AppScan Enterprise, stuff like that is
3: is a yeah.
1: big deal for those who use AppScan Enterprise. It's it's a big deal. Uh, and then there's a uh, issue consolidation, which you know, because I like Fixed groups so much, uh, yeah. this is really cool. I think that they they did this in the DAS world where the frequency or the the similarity of issues are now kind of bundled together a little bit more so that it doesn't inundate you again with a whole bunch of issues. The issues are still represented, they're just presented in a way that you can kind of plow through all similar issues together, which I've always been a big fan of because you're in a certain context mode when you're looking at an issue and you want to be able to say, I can fix this or I don't need to fix this or this is noise. While looking in that same context, so this is this is a quality of life improvement. I think people are going to enjoy.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big one for for standard for sure. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of good things coming to standard, which, you know, for a while there hadn't, it you know, didn't change very much. But there's some really good features coming into that now, which is great.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of things to help you get to the to the root of the problem faster, and hopefully actually implement secure coding and not just secure reporting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start actually fixing things, that sort of thing. So that's good.
0: I know that in that as well, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes, which is often the case with a lot of the, the scan engines. And I know that there was a lot of improvement on the active based um, crawling. I, I understand that from some of the stats that I got, because I was talking to the, the product managers in relation to this, that there's a, nearly a 50% increase in finding DOM-based findings, just based on some of the action-based crawling improvements, so that, I know that's that's going to be quite significant. Because um, DOM-based it's awesome. yeah. findings are, are are certainly ones that we we want to be capturing. And they're hard. It's not easy to pull that
1: stunt off. It's really hard work.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah,
1: that's that's there's a lot of little subtle improvements like that that are just what it did before, only better.
0: And two two other things which which are you know I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh but we're also removed we also take things out that aren't needed anymore but I, I'm delighted finally to see the. The scan expert is finally leaving um, AppScan Standard. It, I, I don't know if you know the scan expert, but was this little character with glasses used to come up and it used to tell you, it, it, it to tell you things that you were wrong with your scan, and yeah, it, it it's the, very frustrating.
2: It's <laughs> the AppScan version of Clippy. It, yeah. it Bye, Clippy. it Turns
0: out it doesn't work anywhere.
2: <laughs> You've got
0: vulnerabilities. (laughs) You would get vulnerabilities if you turned this flag on. No, it's gone. (laughs) We're also going to talk about some of the things that we've got coming up. Myself, Chris, and Rob are actually going to do a webinar next week on Tuesday. Is it Tuesday, Rob? Is that when we're doing it? Tuesday. So so we'll – you might find what the, the the link, I think you can get that from the AppScan website. Is is that where you register? Where, where do you register for that, Rob, for anyone who might have um, time to do that before then?
2: Yeah, we have it out on, on different social media channels. So if you're following HCL software on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, uh, there are registration links for those available. And the links can also be found just by looking through those channels, you know, to pick up uh, to where we are.
0: The webinar is going to be about continuous security. So this is our our push to to look at application security a bit more beyond what we normally do. Isn't it? And Rob, you and I have been talking about this for a while, but this is really just to put a play on this and and really take this to the next level. Um, and I know we're going to talk to Jason. Jason Gary in a few minutes and it'd be interested to see what his take is on, on similar sorts of things, but it's, I don't know if you want to
2: add, add some sort of color
0: to what we're going to do or a little teaser about what we're going to talk about.
2: Yeah. Well, the biggest thing, honestly, Colin is, is just like with so many other things in DevOps and, and DevSecOps, right? You see the word continuous applied again and again, yeah. but you rarely see it applied to security. And so, I think there's a need for us to get beyond uh, what I would call now, even though it's only been a little while, but this traditional DevSecOps, which has been, hey, integrate security testing into your pipeline uh, and provide some feedback on that, right? That's a really good thing, but I think there's more that we can do that really enhances, you know, overall security practices. Um, And where we want to get to is this notion of continuous security where it's part of, you know, the process and getting ingrained in the culture. And so it'd be really interesting to, to you know, get some of Jason's thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I know the, the concept being for anyone who is interested is, you know, we we want to talk about all aspects of security starting from design through the automation and that the focus is typically um, DevSecOps to me sits with that automation piece, as you mentioned but it goes beyond that. We've got to talk about how we educate, secure coding, governance. You know, you know what sort, what does compliance mean? What does audit mean? And and then how do we measure what what we're doing and, and knowing that we're successful? And how do we then, in a continuous sort of improvement sort of model, take that to the next iteration of that? So again, so we're we're, we're going to be talking a, a lot more about that on Tuesday, and also on Tuesday must do a plug to our AppScan Tuesdays, which is run by Aton. And he's he's done four of them now. He's doing his weekly. I, I, I don't know how he can turn that around so quickly. But this week, he's going to be talking to Billy about the updates to AppScan Standard, some of the things that we just talked about. So um, if you haven't seen those, they're they're visual, whereas we're you don't get to see our ugly mugs. You, you will get to see Aton and and Billy, and and they'll also do a, a demo of some of the things that are coming. So that that'll be interesting if you've got some want to know a little bit more about AppScan Standard. The one last week he had um, Cody Travis on as well. So if you didn't see that, and of course as we mentioned last time, Matt Murphy um, speaking. one before that so there's there's quite a good content around that so that's on tuesdays um, as well and again you'll you'll get the link in the same media channels you should have all that information so this week it's our pleasure to have a very different sort of guest for us moving away from app scan and from development and it's my pleasure to introduce Jason Gary, who is the CTO for and Vice President of Engineering and Innovation at HCL's Digital Solutions, which is another arm um, of HCL software. So welcome, Jason. Really good to have you here. Uh, it's exciting to be here. And, and- so what what we'll probably do is just ask you a few questions about uh, a few things. And, you know, our interest is really sparked around application security. But I think first and foremost, and really to help us, because we'll have a lot of people that, that are interested in application security and specifically AppScan, but probably don't know what digital solutions is. So maybe you could give us a little insight to what digital solutions is and perhaps how it's evolved in HCL software.
3: Sure. Sure. Well, the journey began in December of uh, 2017. It it seems like a long time ago. It really wasn't with uh, an IPP, a uh, intellectual property uh, sharing agreement with IBM along a series of products that are traditionally products from uh, a company called Lotus that was acquired by IBM in 1995. And those are Notes, Domino, Same Time and uh, a few other uh, ancillary products. Uh, and it's it's been quite a journey. We started off calling ourselves CWP, Collaboration Workflow. Uh, and uh, then we sort of evolved. We also brought in a new set of products that used to be called WebSphere Portal. Now we've renamed them DX or Digital Experience. Then uh, a year later, we brought on board IBM Connections into our fold. And we completed, of course, a full acquisition of all of those products. So if you think about HCL Digital Solutions, it is a soup to nuts set of digital solutions for a company around collaboration, around messaging and email, around instant messaging, around meeting technologies, around building high-performance websites, around internal collaboration and uh, social capabilities inside the enterprise. It's a, it's a very large and broad portfolio, uh, including we, we, uh, we have a VPN uh, product as, as part of our thing called SafeLink, which is a really cool product. Uh, And it's a big business. Uh, It it is uh, uh, pretty enormous. If you look at our customer base, it's a little over 12,000 active customers of our product set. Uh, And it is a significant portion of of HCL software's overall revenue. So it's a a big business. We have, uh, I think it's just a shade under 900 engineers across all those products. But but I'll tell you a story about us because I, I, I think, Digital Solutions is not really all about its products. It's all about our customers and our people. So uh, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Richard Jeffs is the general manager of HCL Digital Solutions. He's my boss, uh, incredible guy. I I also am proud to have him as my friend. Uh, And he actually recruited me to come here to to Digital Solutions uh, to be the CTO. And when when I got on board uh, two months after the, the organization had been formed and we were still trying to figure things out, Uh, Richard and I decided we need to have a conference, Uh, something that really hadn't been done yet um, as HCL was journeying to become a software company. We're like, we need to have a conference, but we need to do something completely different. We want to have a conference where we cherish and honor the the customers and the the business partners who have stayed with these products. Some of these products are are 30 years old. Mm. Um, It's an incredible legacy. So we decided we were going to have a factory tour. So instead of us, you know, leasing space in a, in a conference center, what have you, we were literally going to bring our customers and business partners into our lab, and we were going to do coding with them. We were going to do, you know, open kimonos, show everything that we're working on with them, of course, under NDA. And we decided as the theme, we were going to use Willy Wonka. And so all of the customers and partners got a golden ticket, some of which Richard and I hand-delivered to them and there were actual golden tickets they're really cool looking uh and we gave out a hundred of them in order to get into the show you had to bring your golden ticket a la willy wonka and, and richard dressed up as willy wonka and i was an oompa loompa uh and we we did the the conference and it was so popular and so successful uh we had a second one in milan uh maybe a year later Uh, Then we did another one in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, uh, which is where our main laboratory is. And we did uh, Toy Story. So I dressed as Buzz Lightyear. Uh, Richard was Woody. uh, And uh, I was the middle-aged Buzz Lightyear, you know, little little (laughs) paunch on my superhero shape. Uh, But I I tell you this story not just because it's funny, but you kind of get an idea of what kind of organization we are and how different we want to be. I tell people all the time uh, when I go to conferences or I'm speaking to analysts or what have you. Uh, Richard, myself, all the senior leadership uh, under Richard, we really don't want to build products for our customers. We want to build products with our customers. Uh, We want to be really different. We want to be part of customers' digital journey. Uh, And so, you know, what is digital solutions, which I'll circle back to your original question, Colin. (laughs) No, I I think it's a collection of passionate customers, business partners, engineers, support specialists, uh, sales teams and such all working together to create some amazing things and amazing outcomes. I remember
1: when the customers showed up in tell is it, it's pretty wild.
3: <laughs> we had a good time. We we had a really <laughs> good time. A lot of <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, but you know what? I'll tell you, uh, they've been tremendously successful. We actually, unfortunately, uh, there are two of them we had scheduled this year thus far that have had to be canceled sure. because of mm-hmm. circumstances. But um, we are going to do a virtual one. Pretty super excited about it. <laughs> Uh, and we are committed to to do these conferences where it's it's, you know, uh, a young engineer sitting down with a 20 year plus customer who's who's been with us and the young engineer showing code and showing what they're doing, yeah. right? Bring our customers in and make them part of the product.
2: So, I mean, there was a lot of really cool stuff in there. And, and it's funny, you know, thinking about the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> and him being in Oompa Loompa. That's awesome. Um i've looked worse not much yeah. worse but i
3: have looked worse there's a, there's a video by the way on uh, i think it's on youtube of of me singing the oompa Loompa song and richard hitting me with his cane <laughs> right huh. but, making my parents proud yeah but you know to,
2: to piggyback off that a little bit right one of the fun things about watching that movie and realizing it is those are the guys who got everything done right they were the behind the scenes folks that made sure that everything operated the way it was supposed to, right? And so in the space that we're in today, that's one of the things we're trying to do is make sure everything's safe, make sure everything is is working well. So I'm curious, how have you been able to kind of get security into what you're doing in digital solutions and make sure that what you're rolling out isn't just uh, performing well and highly capable, but is also safe and secure?
3: So I'll tell you, uh, there's kind of a long answer to this, but I'll, I'll give you the, the 30,000 foot level. It's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. If, if you look at the, the products that have um, now become part of digital solutions, they all have very different heritages. They are on extremely different stacks. They have a big difference in the maturity of the engineering teams. Um, and You look at Notes and Domino, which is again, still a huge customer base, a big, big product set. It's 23 million lines of code. Started in 1989, some of which is actually still in the code and running. It is. It has a a group of very very talented but um, you know engineers that have been with the product for 20 25 years. Whereas we have other products where we've got very young engineering teams, some of which are just out of college, and so it's very difficult. You know, Rob. You know, when I I put my my security hat on, it's very difficult for me to go one size fits all across all of those product sets. But I will tell you some of the things that we 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 do. Um, that, at very least, uh, help us change things. Uh, We have a a really great leader that uh, Richard brought in, a guy named uh, Chris Healy, uh, and he's running this concept around our central engineering team. And he's doing an awful lot of work with trying to figure out how do we implement some baselines uh, so that we can adjust with the fact that these products are in different states, but at the same time, Know that we're doing secure code and secure coding practices. The biggest thing I think we've managed to accomplish in the, the, the two plus years that I've been here uh, is push secure coding outside of a mythical waterfall end game, which, by the way, I don't actually believe in. But, but it was in some cases there for some of these products and bake it in the sprints. Bake it in the sprints. It's part of what we do. It's core to what we do. We do have lunch and learns on secure code uh, in Chelmsford, by the way. Um, so she can come uh, you know, one of the other things we've we've done is we actually went out deliberately and recruited two security experts, um, pretty uh, well-known ones from external to come in and join our team and they are applying a lot of those practices across that entire product base that you saw. so it's a it, it, it's a it's a tough question. Uh, in my opinion, security starts, with the engineers. It starts with the culture, it doesn't start with the tooling. And I, I know you guys are from the tooling set and I think tooling is super, super important, don't get me wrong, but it's gotta start with the culture. It's gotta start with the engineers. It's gotta start with them buying into it. Uh, and I'm oh. not saying that we're, we're perfectly there yet, uh, but I think we're making a lot of progress.
2: I couldn't agree with you more, right? That's, that's the biggest determinant of long-term success is the culture piece. Hey, when you mentioned um, baking it into the sprint, so I'm curious does that mean that you have you know defined use cases hill statements and things like that around security or is it more kind of hitting it in a daily stand up and that kind of thing um what did what did you mean you know by
3: baking it into the sprint both both right awesome. and, and uh, i wouldn't even i wouldn't even go at the the hill level there are explicitly in in sprints backlog items in jIRA Accounted for, uh, and and a lot of the things. Like I said, I mentioned Chris Healy, who's doing a great job. I and mean, one of the things he's working on doing is, how do we start measuring security like we me- measure test coverage, right? Because that's that's the holy grail, uh, and and that's what you know Chris and his team are working on. Is how do we get to that point? Because it, it, it's not to create a naughty list, right? That's 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 not what I'm interested in. It's to create a who's struggling and having problems that we need to go and 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 go and help. You know, how do we how do we do that? I don't I don't think we're there yet, uh, but that's where I would like to get.
2: That's amazing. Actually, in, in, what kind of metrics and things are you measuring to, you know, know that your security posture is is improving there? So maybe if you talk about that for
3: just a second. Ah, yeah, um, let me list all the things you measure <laughs> right now, um, because there's uh, and I'll try to I'll try to rattle them off and. and I'll probably, I'll probably miss something. Well, I'm asking mainly
2: because I think, you know, people I run into all the time, they're wondering like, what are the big kind of things that we need to pay attention to? Right. So maybe just kind of the the top sort of metrics that let you know, Hey, we're doing okay.
3: So I'll flip it on its head a little bit, and then I'll talk about the metrics we have and you'll kind of see how this maps in. So we have taken a journey down VAST. You guys probably know what VAST is, right? Visual Agile, Simple Thread, I think is what it stands for. Yeah. Uh, modeling, uh, and we are trying to map in some of the work that we're doing around that uh, threat modeling paradigm. And we're mapping those into some of the things that we're doing. So we have risk reports, which I'm sure you guys you guys know all about. Uh, so we do risk reports. Our security actually maps into release health. So we have a release health dashboard where we map in where our security gaps are into that. Uh, we even map it into um, one of the the great things that um, our support organization has done for us is we've started to categorize and classify challenges that customers have had around security that we would normally just totally ignore uh, because we would know uh, and, and map them in but I'll give you the just sort of the high level things that we things that we measure uh we measure obstacles uh release health, velocity uh, burn down health uh, quality testing and the next one that's going to be their security <laughs> on metrics and coverage and then we map back in those support metrics. So those are the I guess those are the big things that we're we're measuring right now. Uh, you know, obviously we're doing code scans. Obviously we're doing all the classic things that you would think of. Um but those are the the biggest things that we're managing. I'll, I'll tell you one other one other thing that we've done. Again, actually going back to Colin's original question um about who we are and what we want to be. If you look at our product set, it is very administrative centric in, you know, these are big monolithic products, they have to be rolled out, they have to be administered. There are massive administration teams that actually run these things. In fact, our largest deployment in on one of these products, there is a, the customer has almost 40 administrative engineers who manage this thing and babysit it, right? They're, that's huge. Uh, and one of the things that that I noticed when I came over and these two security people that we, uh, engineers that we brought over was we weren't leveraging any of the knowledge of what those administrators were doing and seeing back in our sprints for our security coverage we were just assuming we knew uh, and oh boy were we wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that we've actually started to do and i I think it's been fairly successful is actually having workshops you know unfortunately virtually right now uh, with administrators of our customers to go what's going wrong how can we help you? What are you seeing? What are your security teams seeing and causing, you know, causing you grief over that we don't have implemented to, to make your lives easier or to make sure you solve the problems that you're looking for? And and you know, some of our our our, our customers are actually quite a few of them are public sector. So you can imagine the pressures that we have there. So long winded answer and I apologize, but um you know there's wow. there's a lot of work to be done.
1: No, but that was great though. Thank you. Yeah, I have a I have a question from a developer's perspective. How do you generally get that culture ingrained in the developers to actually want to do security? Because we're a notoriously resistant bunch.
3: <laughs> so I, I I'll tell you, it it ain't easy. That's for sure, Chris. Um, the the best thing that I've seen that has worked is is the thing I just described to Rob, and it wasn't even at a factory tour. We had a meeting with, with a particular customer and their administration team was there, their CIO office was there, their security guys were there, and they were rattling off everything that we were doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, we had a bunch of, you know, uh, mid-career people who were on the call, uh, from that product, listening to this. And at first you saw the cognitive dissonance, right? You saw the, no, that can't be true. No, uh. But 45 minutes in of them just getting beat over the head with screenshots showing this stuff happening, uh, you know, we walked out of that room and went, okay, we need to have an immediate follow-up. Whatever you're doing now needs to be dropped. We need to sit down and put together an action plan on a whiteboard. And and you saw it flip. I'm not saying that that will work for every product set. I I think the biggest problem is engineers find security annoying. It's not fun to them. (laughs) Yeah. It's not fun, it's not cool, it's not neat. By the way, neither is testing. No offense to my test engineering friends. But I I think if you turn it into, and and, you know, my experience with developers in the last 30 years of my career, you know, they like puzzles. They like to solve problems. If you show them that there's a real problem, then it becomes interesting, it becomes a game, it becomes fun to do. If it's just, oh, I gotta do this, why? you know we we struggle with it. by the way i'm 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 absolutely not saying that our org is perfect in this. it's a struggle it's a it's a you know a constant thing, but the biggest thing that I've seen that gets our core engineering teams and not our security specialists but our core engineering teams really, really interested in you know how can we make this more secure? what can we do? how can we fix this is there's a problem to solve and it's identified. With a customer, and there's a positive outcome that that, that can occur from it. Burden of proof, we do. <laughs> oh yeah, like that. yeah. I mean, if you, when you, uh, yeah, you know, developers. If you tell them they have to do yep. something, you don't tell them why. They're not going to do it. Right. Well, no, no, notoriously <laughs>
0: obstinate. <laughs> One of the key things that that I think is very important in a security program is 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 audit, security audit. And w- what we see a lot of cut where a lot of customers that we work with fail is that they just focus on. The automation part, the DevOps piece, and stuff like that, and they neglect the the audit piece and and how that in, intertwines. It it sounds a little bit like you've been, because you've got independent security people working that you can actually perform that function of security audit. Did, are they performing pen tests, or are they are you doing sort of external tests beyond what what what's coming out of the engineering process?
3: Both. So, yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do audits. And then, yes, we do have third-party pen tests that are done on our products. I, I'm not, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not necessarily the most thrilled at how we've implemented um, you know, pen testing. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly sort of on the lookout, both inside HCL, but also elsewhere on how we can better integrate it. Because the problem with third-party pen testing is it becomes waterfall. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that's that's I'm not interested in that. Right. Uh, it, it becomes a you know, you, you hand off and it's it's some black hole. Uh, we have the same problem with other third parties. I'm not going to pick on security folks like translation. Same problem. Um, oh. Localization. Same problem. Uh, and I I want to find a way of solving this. I have not. I've not found it yet. I, I wish I had. Um, but but absolutely. We do. We do independent audits. Just think, think of some of our products that quite a few of them are Uh, incredibly important to be secure. Um, Certainly email is something people are very sensitive about. Extremely sensitive about. uh, And so we do those things. Um, We also uh, have a a partnership. So there's a number of our customers. Like I said, we have some fairly large public sector customers. We have military customers and we have a lot of banking customers. Mm -hmm. And they also do pen tests on our products independent of us. Uh, yes, they do. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. That's uh, they should, and, Honestly, uh, it, you know, when I was when I was at IBM, uh, you know, it, it was the culture at IBM to sort of view that as a threat. Uh, and I think Richard and and the leadership team and Digital Solutions we've done a good job of kind of flipping that on its head and going, you know, what that's that's great, free extra testing of our products, awesome. <laughs> what we need to do is to get integrated, and not just you know, not just have a surprise. Let's go. Let's go talk to all those customers that are doing that, try to identify them, and then say, hey, hey, I'll tell you what, we'll give you all our data when you kick off your pen test so it's even more accurate. right? You've got what we did, and your third party can go off and, and, and analyze that and probably be more effective as long as you share the results with us, uh, and we've had pretty good success with that. That's so, interesting. Huh? Yeah, yeah. The, you know, it's, it, a lot of things that I learned in IBM were sort of anti-patterns, and I, I love IBM, amazing company. Uh, I had a wonderful career there, but a lot of the patterns I learned, um, I'm trying to flip on their head. And and I know Richard is as well, as well as his leadership team of, you know what, you know, the fact that customers are doing pen testing our products, that's awesome. How can we use use that? Right. Let's use it. Right. Um, so, so hope that helps. It does. It does. Thank you. Good. Good. Yeah. Hey,
2: in terms of getting the, uh, the developers engaged in kind of in that audit process, um, are they part of the threat modeling exercises you're doing?
3: Yes. And
2: and what, have you seen their enthusiasm come up because of that, or is it more like, hey, here's another thing in a meeting we have to be a part of, or? <laughs> it's a
3: little bit of both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think when we first started off threat modeling, I, I think we tried to be special. Um, and you know everybody falls into that trap. You know we did some investigation and we looked at some different models. And like I said, we're we're experimenting with VAST right now. We've had a lot of success with it. VAST is at least fun. I don't know if you guys have have ever ever followed through a VAST process and doing threat modeling, but it, it's kind of interesting and fun and weird. And you know it allows a little bit of experimentation and such. So we've we've had you know had some decent success there. I'm not saying that that's going to be nirvana and that's where we're going to end up. I I think the biggest struggle that we had initially was we're we're like oh well we're going to do threat modeling and we've got a book on how to do it and we're going to go off and implement it and we're going to come up with our own ways it's going to be great no 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 no
2: right right then we'll hold a conference and we'll you
3: know (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, you know and I I, my boss Richard Jefferson always says this you know he's he's always like core versus context guys Uh, are we in the threat modeling business no then why aren't we stealing someone else's ideas on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's no, there's no practical advantage in us, you know, having the greatest threat modeling engine that the world has ever seen. No one's gonna care. We're in the digital solution business, so, so uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think there is, there is still some resistance. Uh, you know, I, we have a, a little bit of a, a funny mantra uh, in some of the labs in, in digital solutions. We've got labs everywhere. It's called uh, "meet less, code more" is the the mantra we try to say. So we we try to keep these meetings down. One of the things that we've tried to do lately as a trick to kind of avoid this this meeting pain is is fifteen minute meetings. You got fifteen minutes to get across what you want to get across. You can't do it in fifteen minutes, we shouldn't be meeting. And yeah. by the way, uh and this is something uh Richard's really trying to start instilling in the culture, is don't go into a meeting cold. There should be prep documentation before the meeting and you better bloody read it. Because we're not going through, you know, five PowerPoints and reading it to you. You better have read it already and be ready to make a decision on the call. Yeah. So that helps, I think, a little bit with meeting fatigue. Uh, you know, Chris, as, as a developer, you, you know that you walk into these meetings and you're just like droning on. And really the back of your mind is thinking, I need to get back and work on that code I was working on.
1: Oh no, we're working while the meeting is going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure.
3: yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's three threads running, and only two of them are actually paying any attention to what's going on around you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, but I, I do think they need to be involved in the modeling. Uh, I think there's still some controversy there, but I think it's, I think it's right. So, um, uh, there was uh this uh event in American history, a uh, place called Valley Forge during our War of Independence. Where uh General Washington and his troops almost froze to death in the winter of 1777. Uh Washington brought in this guy uh called uh Colonel Von Steuben uh from Prussia uh to kind of help the ch- train the troops. Give them something to do. They're freezing and starving to death. At least give them something to do, right, and get training. Von Steuben tried to use the Prussian rule book of I'm just gonna tell him exactly what to do, and this is this is what you need to do. And he found just massive resistance from the Americans. Uh until he tried one day telling them why he wanted them to do those things. And it was a 360. It was like, and all of a sudden, they paid attention to him and listened to him. Uh, And all of a sudden they participated and they started working together in little workshops to figure out, okay, well, we wanna do this because of this. Could we do this even better with this as being the outcome? Uh, And I tell this story to people all the time because to your question, when, when developers are part of a problem and part of solving it, they're engaged. When you just tell them what to do, eh? Yeah. So my takeaway is developers are Washington's shil- uh, soldiers. Soldiers. <laughs> soldiers. Do <the> same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's not a bad takeaway. Computers back then, you know, that's all it was. Then they could have changed the world even faster. <laughs> but only if they know why. <laughs> only if they know why. <laughs> yeah. Just
0: one final question, and, and it sort of hits on what we were just talking about, but in relation to the current climate we're in, where People are remote and working from home, yeah, and and obviously you've got a very diverse team that's very global. What are some of the things that you're doing, and what are some of the challenges that you're facing,
3: you know, with with development teams in that sort of space? You know, I I think like everyone, Colin, we're you know we're having challenges. Uh, the distribution of our organization is massive. We have labs in three cities in India. Three cities in the U.S., a brand new lab in Manila, and we have leadership scattered from Singapore to Frankfurt to Toronto to Edinburgh. Hmm. Uh, we are all over the place. But I, I, I like to look at this as a bit of a positive. I, I, I think our teams have actually gotten a lot closer during these times. Uh, you know, uh, you get to see I'm, – I'm always on video on these meetings, uh, even if I don't look all that great. But, um, you know, I've gotten to see other people's families. I've gotten to see their homes, yeah. right? Uh, and I think everybody else has. I, I think everybody has started to spend a little more time getting to know each other. I actually think the teams have gotten stronger. Because we're scattered, uh, I have found that uh, all of our teams are working diverse hours uh, than they used to when they used to actually go into buildings. They've been willing to sacrifice you know, some of their early morning or their late evening. I was on a call until 11 o'clock last night, mm-hmm. uh, and I started this morning at 6.45 and and I find people are willing to do that because they see everybody else sacrificing to kind of meet and collaborate with the people they need to work with. My wife is getting so frustrated. I had to turn my iPad on my um, nightstand over when I go to bed, because every time a push notification of a new commit comes in, my iPad would light up and my wife is like, why is this happening all night? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just because, you know, the new commits to our product are 24 seven and they're, I've actually seen velocity increase right. over the last two sprints, That's not fantastic. decreased. Uh, and and I'll I'll tell you one little little funny story. Um, I'm starting to see groups do virtual get-togethers uh, in the evening and invite each other. Uh, and I I have one too. It's called the fireside chat with Jason, uh, and I have it every Wednesday evening. It's always scheduled for an hour. It tends to go like an hour and a half just because people want to talk to each other. And we talk about everything. We talk about IoT. We we talk about life. We talk about work. And it started off with 11 people on it. I had 51 people on it last night. You know, it's one of the traditions that we started with this um, during the the course of this pandemic is uh, I I have a, a story uh, to uh, or a mantra I tell on my teams as well is that I don't want to think out of the box i want to set the damn box on fire i want to set it on fire all right so the very first one of these fireside chats that we did uh in march uh i went outside with my nine-year-old 11 year old i gave my nine-year-old the the fire extinguisher, which is probably not the best fire safety plan actually <laughs> uh, with a box from amazon and nice. i uh, uh you guys probably know what wd-40 is i sprayed it with wd-40 because you know what big flames are fun Why not? and i let uh, you know on zoom live it's eight o'clock at night and i set the box on fire and it's <laughs> burnt to the ground uh and what's happened and i didn't even encourage this is the team is self-organized that every one of these fireside chats someone else is going outside to their driveway, their backyard whatever and setting a box on fire nice. Uh and it's just <laughs> a way of all all coming together with you know commonality and um, understanding and having ceremonies and symbols that mean something to us. So, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, look, I, I think the team has actually gotten a lot stronger. It's it's hard. It's hard on everybody. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges, but you know what? Humans are resilient, and we'll all get through this. Yeah,
2: and I I think you see their creativity show up too. And I appreciate you know from from that that leadership perspective, right? Where Dealing across time zones, working with diversity and allowing flexibility, right? For, you know, you, you look at the three of us, right? You've got a guy on the East coast, a guy in Europe and a guy on the West coast, right? Trying to get things that work across all those time zones can be a little challenging. So, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's the thing I'm seeing too, is it just incredible flexibility and the willingness of people to kind of adjust and move and stuff has been awesome.
3: You know, uh, we've got uh, some 90 employees in our brand-new lab in Manila, which, funny enough, we were weeks away from moving into a brand-new building. (laughs) We couldn't. Everybody had to stay home. Uh, In Manila, they have a quarantine lockdown where you get one pass per family per week to go to the grocery store, and Ah. the grocery stores are only open eight hours a day during the day. Now, the problem with the Manila lab is they work U.S. daylight hours, right? And so. I found out, and and God bless them. They're they're fantastic people. I have great engineers there, um, as do other uh, other leadership under Richard. But these people are almost starving to death, and not because they had no money. It's they, they had no time to go get food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and going back to what you said, Rob, around flexibility. You know, as soon as the senior leadership understood what was going on, we said, you know what, you guys are now working four days a week, and one of those days you go get food for yourself and your family. Yeah. And I think it's those kinds of things that bring us closer together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um,
0: this has been very insightful, and I, I, I get a feeling we, we might have you back again at some
3: point. You know, so. Well, great. So yeah, great. yeah, Look, I, I. It's good meeting you guys, and we should, we should, uh, we should spend some more time, whether it's on this podcast or just getting together, maybe talking about some of the best practices and things we're learning. Yeah, no, that would Excellent. be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Thanks a million. Yep, really, cheers to you. Yep. Stay bye in bye.
2: Touch. Thanks so much, You're
0: Jason. Right. Thank you for listening to our podcast as as normal. Very pleased that we've gotten the over six hundred downloads at this point, which is quite phenomenal, given that we've we started with very little. Chris, Rob, thanks thanks again, and um,
2: we'll chat soon. Yeah, looking <laughs> forward to the next one. Oh, always a fun time.